Well, hello there, Dr. Nicole here. I am thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. A few of my favorite titles are The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Get Informed Pregnancy Plus right now for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. Again, that's informedpregnancy.tv. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or Walmart.com. In this shorty episode, you are going to get a story from the hospital where I share with you about how I care for patients in the hospital who want a low intervention hospital birth. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is a short episode. These shorty episodes are like 10 minutes or so where I just talk about a topic really briefly. And in this episode, I am going to give you a play black play description of what happened when I cared for someone who wanted a low intervention hospital birth. Now, of course, whether you are a new listener or a returning listener, I am so, so glad that you are spending some of your time with me today. 
All right, so let's hop into this low intervention hospital birth and how it unfolded under my care. And I want you to know this because I want you to know that low intervention hospital birth is possible. I want you to know what it looks like. I want you to know some of the things and questions that you should be asking your doctor or midwife if you want to have a low intervention hospital birth. So let's get into it. Okay, so the patient came to the hospital around eight o'clock in the morning. It was her first baby. She was just past 40 weeks. I think she was 40 and weeks in two days or three days, something like that. So when she came to the OB triage area or our OB emergency department is what we call it. We have a separate in our hospital, little OB emergency department area that's just for pregnant people. And I checked her cervix with her permission, of course, and she was about four centimeters dilated and contracting regularly and having painful contractions. So I asked her about her preferences for her birth and she wanted a low intervention birth. She did have a birth plan. So I read through her birth plan. It was just a page. And I reviewed the birth plan with her and her partner, how we were going to be able to support the things that were in the birth plan. There was nothing in there that was outside of what we normally do, but I did make sure that I looked at it and reviewed it with her and her partner. So from there, she got admitted to the hospital. We did place what's called a saline lock. Now, a saline lock is when an IV is placed, but it is not connected to anything. It's just there if needed in case of emergency. In most routine, uncomplicated births, you actually do not need IV fluids if you don't have an epidural. If you have an epidural, then you do need IV fluids. But if you want a low intervention, unmedicated birth, then you really don't need to have IV fluids, okay? But the saline lock is there, or it's nice that it's there if needed in case of an emergency, particularly being like postpartum hemorrhage, or if there's an unfortunately an urgent cesarean birth, or it's there if someone has GBS, if they're GBS positive and they need to get antibiotics during their birth, then it can be connected, uh, given the, the antibiotics can be given and then the IV can be disconnected, okay? So the saline lock is just placed, it's there, we use it if needed. In her case, we didn't need to use it. Now, during her labor, she had intermittent monitoring. The standard of care is, I, I shouldn't say the standard of care. I should say what is typically done is continuous monitoring where someone is strapped to the monitor all the time and they're not taken off of the monitor. That's just sort of what is routinely done, even though data has shown very clearly that continuous monitoring does not improve outcomes, especially for low intervention, or I should say low risk birth, that it doesn't help things be any better. It's counterintuitive because you would think that if you're monitoring the baby all of the time, then you would pick up things that are more likely to happen. And actually it just leads to an increased risk of cesarean birth because we pick up things and then get concerned. But in her case, she had intermittent monitoring and every hospital is gonna have different protocols for intermittent monitoring. But roughly for us, it's like you're on for 20, 30 minutes and then you're off for the rest of two hours and then you come back on. And then while you're pushing, it's more frequent. But she truly had intermittent monitoring. And then her nurse offered her the shower or to use the tub. In our hospital, we have a few rooms that have tubs and we also have blow up tubs that can be placed in rooms that have enough space. You know, some of our rooms aren't big enough for those, but 
if the room is big enough to accommodate a blow up tub, we will offer a blow up tub or all of our rooms have showers. So she was offered the opportunity to do those. She didn't want to do either of those. And we also encouraged her to use the birth ball. She did do that, sit on the birth ball, roll around, move around. We also encouraged her to walk in the hospital and not just like in the unit, like the labor and delivery unit, like out in the hallways, the stairs, uh, in order to help, you know, keep labor progressing. So she walked through the hospital. And then we also encouraged her to do something called the mile circuit. You can Google the mile circuit. It's a series of movements that you do that may help labor move along. Okay. So she had the saline lock. She had intermittent monitoring. She was offered the shower, the tub. She was using the birth ball, walking in the hospital and doing the mile circuit. All right. Now she also ate and drank as she desired. We didn't say like you can't eat anything or you can't drink anything. Every person in labor, regardless of whether you want lower intervention or not, should be permitted to drink fluids uh, and really low intervention people should be permitted to eat. That is something that ACOG and I disagree on, but the uterus is a muscle and muscles need energy. So you're going to need to eat during labor. Most people actually don't want to eat a ton because so much of your energy is focused on the labor and birth. But if you want to eat a little something, you should be allowed or supported really in doing so. So she ate and drank as she desired. And she was really coping beautifully with her contractions, with breathing techniques, with motion. Her partner was there. Her mother was there supporting her, doing massage, things like that. Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual. Their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female-founded B Corp meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. And then we could see and feel her contractions that they were getting closer and more intense. Okay. So just by palpating old school, just touching the belly, feeling how the contractions feel, the strength of the contractions, we could feel that they were getting closer and uh, more intense. All right. So around eight o'clock PM, that is 12 hours after she came, that is when I offer to check her cervix again. Now, I know for some of the healthcare professionals or OBs and midwives, or maybe not midwives, but OBs are like 12 hours, like you didn't check her cervix for 12 hours. No, I did not offer to check her cervix for 12 hours because she was chugging along just fine. There weren't any issues or concerns, okay? So I offered to check her cervix at, at that 12 hour mark and she did wanna be checked. And at that point she was six centimeters. 
Now, you may hear four to six centimeters in 12 hours and be like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's not a lot. But sometimes it takes a while to get from four to six centimeters. Six centimeters is when you're in active labor. And then after that, things go a lot faster typically. So that is not atypical that it took that amount of time to get to six centimeters. So at that point, I let her know that she was transitioning into active labor and that things were probably going to start picking up and that she should just let us know when she felt the urge to push. All right. So when she felt like, okay, Hey, something's coming. I feel like I really, really want to push, which is what happens when you have a low intervention or unmedicated birth. Now, after that, her water broke at some point. I don't know what time it was between eight o'clock and when she started pushing, but at some point her water broke and then she started pushing at around 1130 PM. So from eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night, she went from four to six centimeters. And then from eight o'clock at night to about 1130, she went from six centimeters to completely dilated. So that's a perfect demonstration of how that active part of labor those four centimeters after that tends to go faster. Roughly, it's gonna be about a centimeter, an hour, maybe a little bit longer. So she started pushing at 11.30 p.m. and she pushed in the position that she felt comfortable. We offered for her to push on her side or her hands and knees, but she happened to feel best sitting up in the bed, like slightly reclined, and she felt comfortable pushing like that. And she pushed how she felt her body was telling her to push. So we didn't do any counting or anything like that. Um, You know, we supported, we encouraged her, but she pushed how she felt her body was telling her to push. And she was doing great. Baby was coming along just fine. Also, while she was pushing, I used warm compresses on her perineum that can help prevent tearing. And then also use olive oil as a moisturizer to help you know, just create moisture there and help the baby slide on out. Okay. So we use straight up just olive oil in our hospital. So warm compresses, just warm washcloths with held right on the perineum in between contractions. So I just hold my hand there with the washcloth and then put the olive oil on to help create some lubrication. So she pushed as she felt like she wanted to push and she gave birth shortly after midnight. So she pushed for just about half an hour. So not long at all, just about half an hour. And she, as the baby came out, the head and the shoulders came out, I said, you know, reach down, grab your baby. And she reached down, grabbed her baby, brought her baby up to her chest for immediate skin to skin contact. And I routinely do delayed core clamping. So delayed core clamping was done as well. Now, she did have a vaginal tear. It was a second degree tear, which is pretty common. Vaginal tears can be first, second, third, or fourth degree tears. First being the the most uh, minor, fourth being the most severe. Hers was a second, it was really common. And that did require some stitches. So I used some lidocaine to numb up the area, uh, did the stitches, and she had that beautiful, beautiful low intervention hospital birth. So what I want you to take from this is that low intervention hospital birth, again, is possible. But you really need to ask ahead of time what that could look like in your hospital because what I described does not happen in every hospital or with every doctor or with every nurse. 
So if this is something that you desire, then you really need to ask, what does low intervention birth look like in your hospital? And then of course you absolutely need to educate yourself about the options. This is where good childbirth education is gonna come in. Of course, I have the birth preparation course. That's my online childbirth education course. Um, you can check it out at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. I actually have a special whole entire section on uh, unmedicated hospital birth specifically and what you can do in order to have an unmedicated hospital birth. But there are lots of options for childbirth education out there. Maybe you want to take an in-person class or, you know, maybe someone else's voice resonates with you. I, I am not like saying you have to take my class. I just want you to take something. That is what I am say, saying is that you have to take some childbirth education. It is so, so important. You're not going to get educated in your doctor's visits. Those visits are like five minutes and they may hand you a pamphlet or something like that. But you need to do that childbirth education so that you are well informed about your options and you can talk about it ahead of time and really be ready and prepared and planned for your hospital low intervention birth. In this case, she happened to come in to me as a doctor and as a hospital and a nurse who supports low intervention birth. Okay. So she may not have needed to, I'm not gonna say she didn't need to do the preparation ahead of time because of course you do, but she didn't need to like have to fight to advocate for that. And the sad reality is that not everybody has that and you're not gonna know unless you ask the appropriate questions. My hope is that you don't need to do all of that and advocate and things like that, but the reality is that you may have to. All right, I'm gonna get off my soapbox now. <laughs> Okay, so there you have it for this short episode. Share it with a friend. Sharing is caring. Helps me to reach and serve more pregnant folks. I'm on a mission to serve millions and millions of pregnant people. So I would love your help in doing that. Also subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to find the show. And I love to hear what you think. You can also let me know what you think by sending me a DM on Instagram. You can also follow me there and get more great pregnancy and birth information. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. So that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week and remember that you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.